Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at the events that occur after Gideon's death, beginning in Judges chapter 8, verse 29. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abizrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerobel, that is, Gideon, in return for all of the good that he had done to Israel. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerobel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerobel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said he is our brother." And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerobel, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerobel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, 
if you have acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hands of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he's your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beir and lived there because of Abimelech his brother. In this section of scripture, we meet Abimelech, one of Gideon's sons. He's decided that he would like to rule over the town of Shechem. And so he goes to his family and gets them to help him with a PR campaign of sorts and gets the leaders of Shechem to be inclined to follow him. Then he goes out and he kills all of Gideon's son, except one that's able to escape. His name was Jotham. When Abimelech returns, the people of Shechem make Abimelech their king. Jotham is watching from the top of a mountain, Mount Gerizim, and he cries out to them and says, you guys should really be careful about trusting someone who will go to any lengths to put himself in a position of power. He does this by telling them a parable of sorts, and he equates Abimelech to the briars that overtake vegetation when allowed to spring up in their midst. And then he challenges the people and says, if you've acted in good faith and integrity, then by all means, let Abimelech be your king and enjoy that. But if you've mistreated Gideon and his family, then understand judgment will come to Abimelech. As I read this section of scripture, I'm struck by how Abimelech sets up a choice for the people of Shechem. Do you want me or 70 other people ruling over you? He sets up for them a a choice that has two options. And as they look to decide which of those is best, they may have found themselves making a choice like we sometimes do, especially when it comes to political decisions. What is the lesser of two evils? Do we honor Gideon and follow all of his sons, or do we honor our own flesh and blood and do what's best for us and anoint Abimelech as king? They had a decision to make. Which one of these two things should we do? But it seems to me as I look at this story that the decision that was placed before them, the dilemma as it's presented, is actually a false dilemma because there are actually more than two choices. As this section of scripture opened, we see that the people of God had already returned to their worship of idols, and that following the sons of Gideon or following Abimelech as king, neither one were in their best interest. And the thing that they failed to see in the moment is that they did have other options. For us, we often feel that we have to choose between the lesser of two evils. But the question we have to ask ourselves, especially based on the things we see in Scripture, is, do we have to? As Christians, are we obligated to choose between the lesser of two evils? Ultimately, the lesser of two evils is still evil. We often have more options than we realize. We may not feel like they're viable options. We may not like them. But what matters is, is it the option that God wants us to choose? 
in this story, as the people are trying to choose between Gideon's 70 sons and Abimelech, the text itself shows us what they failed to remember. Verse 34 of chapter 8 said, And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. When they were trying to choose between the 70 sons of Gideon and Abimelech, they forgot to even remember the words of Gideon, who said, My sons will not rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. They forgot to follow what God said. Now they're making this choice between two evils, and it doesn't work well for them. Things end up going horribly wrong, as often happens for us when we settle for the lesser of two evils. As we reflect on that, let's look at the reality of their situation. The first thing is that their choices could not stop God's will. They were not going to stop God from doing what he wanted to do, whether they followed the 70 sons of Gideon or Abimelech, or if they had chosen to follow God. In any case, God's will will be accomplished. That's important for us to know. As we look to make choices about what we want and what we would like to see, whether that's in a political arena or in our personal lives or at our jobs or in any other situation, our choices don't stop what God wants done. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, God works out everything the way he wants it done. He can do that with you or without you. If we're not willing to join God in his work, he has the power to accomplish his will in spite of us. I think sometimes Christians today forget that, that somehow we have to go out and save the church to save God's people because God needs that help. God's will will be accomplished regardless. What we've been asked to do is follow his teachings, follow his commandments, and do those things as long as he wants us to. Another part of Israel's reality in this story is that they had to live with the consequences of their choices. If you read the rest of chapter 9, you see that it's not very long before they're ready to get rid of Abimelech, and they come up with a plan to do that. But they're having to live with the consequences of their choices. They're still not stopping God's will. They're still not keeping God from accomplishing what he wants done. But because they made choices outside God's will, they have to deal with those consequences. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There are consequences to our choices. If we fulfill our own selfish desires, there are consequences to that. If we allow the Spirit to dwell in us and lead us and and guide our decision-making, we get to live forever. We have to live with the consequences of our choices. We are able to choose between life and death. An interesting aspect of this story is that we're told that Jotham stood atop Mount Gerizim to utter his curse on Shechem. Mount Gerizim is the place where Moses had gathered together Israel to rehearse the blessings and the curses that come from keeping the law and following God's will and not keeping the law and doing the opposite of what God wants. 
and Moses at the end of those blessings and curses, let the people know that they had the opportunity to choose life over death. Another reality we see in this story is that the results of choices can be treacherous. And we're obligated to live with the consequences of our choices. And if we make bad enough choices, the results can be treacherous. We see this with the story of Abimelech. But Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, that he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and they do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul reminds his readers that we can make our own choices. Now, we get to choose whether we want to serve ourselves or serve God, but making the wrong choice can be treacherous. Choosing not to honor God with our choices leads us to death. And one more reality that's revealed in this story is that God is the ultimate judge of our choices. For the people in Shechem, they thought they were judge and jury, that they could manipulate the circumstances and get something favorable for them if they just made the right choice. But it was still a selfish choice. God ultimately decides which of our choices are good and which are bad. We often imagine we're that final judge, that we get to say what is right or wrong. We see it currently in a lot of the political discourse where one side will be accused of doing something wrong and the other side says, oh, yeah, well, what about you? You're worse, so I'm okay." And the reality is, in a lot of those cases, both sides are doing the wrong thing or making bad choices. We don't have to align ourselves with either political party if they're both doing the wrong thing. We don't have to align ourselves with any group of people in our life or any person in our life over another if they're both doing the wrong thing. What we've been called to do is know what God judges as right and wrong and do that. Jude verses 14 and 15 says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude there is talking about the judgment that will come on all the people who made the wrong choices, the, the people who were committed to bettering their own situation rather than trusting God to do it for them. So if none of my choices can stop God from doing what he wants to accomplish, and ultimately he's the judge of whether I got it right or wrong, and if I get it wrong, there are consequences that I have to deal with them, and some of them can be devastating. What's the solution for how I make choices so that I don't suffer those consequences? The first thing that we have to realize is that sometimes when we're presented with two options, neither one is the right choice. I'm convinced that's one of Satan's greatest tools in our world today is that he convinces us we have to pick between two things. I hate to harp on political situation, but even in this story in Judges, it is a political decision that's being made, and they're trying to decide who they want to be their leader. And they were convinced they had to pick between these two options. They had another option. They could follow God. 
as I hear people bemoaning one political party or another in the United States, and they're trying to decide which one is going to be better for Christianity or better for God, God tries to remind us that the best thing you can do for God is to listen to him. You don't have to vote for either one of those. You can vote for someone else. If all of God's people rose up and voted for someone who was genuinely representing the ideals of Scripture, we would have better choices when it came to political candidates. Sometimes neither option is the right choice. Also, we should have an objective standard for making decisions. There should be some way that we reach a conclusion that's outside our feelings. Because sometimes doing the right thing doesn't give us what we want. Sometimes we have to make a sacrifice in short-term gratification to achieve long-term satisfaction. The people of Shechem would have been better off if they had let God be their standard for decision-making rather than whether or not their leader was closely related to them. And lastly, our decision should be consistent with our purpose. God has given us instruction, leading, prompting. He's given us purposes as his children, and we should be making decisions that are consistent with those purposes, that further those purposes. Not decisions that gratify some desire we have, but decisions that promote the kingdom of God. Scripture tells us whatever we do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That phrase means to promote the purposes of the Lord, to fulfill the purposes of the Lord. When we're living our lives, when we're talking and acting in this world, it should be done in a way that promotes God's purposes. The people of Shechem had forgotten that. They had an agenda to make themselves feel important or be protected in a way that they saw fit, but it didn't align with God's will, and they suffered the consequences for it. Eleanor Roosevelt, a former first lady of the United States, once said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. As you hear those words, there may even be parts of it that you want to quibble with, but I'm kind of struck by how it mirrors something that Joshua said before he died, long before these events of Judges chapter 9, Joshua in Joshua 24 verse 15 says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, kalirachurchofchrist.org. Or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.